Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here's Shahan J. Haraja and Babak Hayeri. And we are back. Wow, it's it's been a little while, hasn't it? It's been a little while. I'm Shahan J. Haraja. Uh, you might remember me from this podcast, potentially. You might remember me from my work at CBSSports.com. And we have a brand new co-host. I know that people have been messaging me that the streets have been rampant with people clamoring for the return of the College Football Survivor Show. And we are very excited to announce Bobek Hayeri. How are you doing, man? I'm good. Thanks for having me join this wonderful podcast. I'm really excited to be part of the conversation as we figure out who's going to make the playoff and go through all these wonderful teams. It's going to be exciting. It's a pleasure to be here. Man, it's an exciting time. I'll tell you why. I we've been sending messages back and forth. We've been trying to push for this podcast to come back. It, it, it this is something that obviously has been a big part of my life for the past couple of years. Um, you know, and first of all, we we have to address the elephant to the room, right? They let guys named Shahan and Bobic run a college football podcast. That was allowed. <laughs> we have the one-two punch of the most complicated names, I think, in all of college football broadcasting. I mean, there, there's some out there. There's some contenders. But, you know, Bobak Kayeri and Shehan Jeharaja, that is, that is something else altogether. But you know what? At Starbucks, we're probably Bob and Sean. So that makes you, if that makes you happy out there, we've got that, too. And it's so funny, too, because I grew up in Bakersfield, the armpit of California. So I have, honest to goodness, heard it all. I served 15 years in Bakersfield before I made it out. And um, I love the town, but <laughs> it, it, it's it's a different place to live. But that's my background. I'm, I'm happy to be here originally. Uh, I've been helping out with Reddit's college football section. I, I host our own talk show there for uh, a number of years myself. And it's just been a delight to, to get an opportunity to talk college football and as we'll try and do through our Twitter account, hear more from those of you out there listening, because it's really important to get you as a part of the conversation as well. I do feel like, you know, you coming in, it does mess with our dynamic a little bit because your voice is so much better than mine and Doug's voice. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, like, is this going to fit? Is this going to make sense for this podcast? Both of me and Doug kind of have those like high whiny voices. Doug, Doug, when he got going, man, he, he would get way <laughs> up there in his register. You've got like the sultry tones. I, I don't know. This is a little weird. It is funny. You know, like you said, a Bobak and a Shahan, but from Dallas, Texas, and Bakersfield, California. It's, uh, you know, I, th I think that we know our stuff, man. I think we know our stuff. Absolutely. What kind of got you into uh, to college football? You know, I'll admit I was kind of a, I wasn't as big of a football guy in high school. I was a theater guy. I would go to football games if there was like a dance afterwards, because that part was the fun part to me. Uh, and then I pick a college I thought was good academically, and I didn't know anything about college football, but it was USC. The first game I went to in 1997 as a freshman, again, I said, like, I'll just go to the first game. We'll see what it's like. And, you know, the L.A. Coliseum looks neat. I had no idea who the other team was. Florida State. And it was <laughs> spectacular. I was a convert from that exact moment. I mean, just hearing the war chant coming from one end of the stadium. And I'm like, this is totally not what I realized. And then, you know, from there, it just never turned back. And at that point, you know, it's not like you're going to go walk on to the USC football team, right? So, uh, you know, it was, I just kind of grown from there. And um, yeah, I became a lawyer, uh, but uh, my heart is still in college football. And 
the opportunity to talk about it just never can never get enough of it. Yeah, it's something else. I had a similar story. You know, people who have listened to this podcast for a while have probably heard multiple times the story. But, you know, I didn't grow up with football either. I went to Baylor and it turns out I was there. A pretty good time. Uh, right off of Robert Griffin III's Heisman Trophy, uh, wow. my second year there, my first year covering the team, they win the Big 12. Yeah, that can make anybody a convert, I think. It is, it's just so unique, obviously, what the sport does. And uh, and obviously, coming from places like California and Texas, you know, places that love college football, it's something else. Absolutely. And, you know, now I, I joke, I went, to, I went to USC when they were actually terrible, like, People joke about how they're looking right now and how they look like they're not tough enough. No, I went there for the end of the second tenure of John Robinson, which ended at the time it seemed like notorious. They fired him over voicemail um, at his home vo- uh, recorder, Mike Garrett. And then they hired Paul Hackett, who lasted, I believe, three years, which at the time people were like, who fires a head coach after three years? Things have changed so much. At that time, they were like, no one fires a head coach after three years. And so no one wanted the job. At that point, I graduated. But no one wanted the head head coaching job at USC. So they go through their fourth choice because they asked, you know, Mike Bellotti at Oregon. He said no. They asked Dennis Erickson at Oregon State. He said no. Mike Riley was at with the Chargers, and he said, golly, I, I need to stay here until they let me go. And so USC went with the only guy who wanted a job, Pete Carroll. And I got to admit that that made it easier as an alumnus right afterwards, because I ended up coming out here to Minnesota, which kept me grounded because going from being a USC fan to a Minnesota Gophers fan, usually you learn that there's there there you can be in the in the situation where you're constantly ripping a loss from the jaws of victory. Although somehow, hey, you know, credit be where credit is. Gophers managed to. Uh, to finally stop the Iowa, you know, I don't know, train or whatever you want to call it from stumbling its way, you know, into the uh, Big Ten title game. But we can talk. I don't know if we need to talk about them right now, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, this is a playoff show. Uh, usually I save that comment to, for talking about Texas. But uh, this this year, I guess we'll we'll discuss that in regards to Iowa. So we don't need to be talking about the Iowa Hawkeyes at this point. That was being betrayed by special teams has to be a special hell for for Kirk Ferentz, right? That is oh. that was one of the craziest things. And I want to say, I believe by the letter of the law, that was the right call. I, I do think that his arm was waving. It was very confusing if, if the refs are kind of looking at it like that. And, you know, usually when you see people point, they point with both hands at the punt, right? They're, they're saying, like, here's where the ball is. Get out of the way. But he's waving with the other arm, whether he intended to or not. It might have been literally inadvertent. But, I mean, college football, man, every single week we learn something new. It would have been a spectacular way to win the game. But at the same time, you know, the fact that they still had possession of the ball and everyone in that stadium knew that they couldn't possibly score with the time they had left because they were the Iowa offense. So in a way, it was both. Fitting that it, it came to an end that way, um, but also sad that that's the way it ended because I, I was quietly hoping for this just incredible series of games where somehow Iowa makes it to that Big Ten championship game. And imagine if they had somehow made the upset and the you know the committee's like, well, we got to let them in. <laughs> and just you knew that press box was going to be a bunch of reporters keeping tally of how many points 
Brian Ferentz supposedly has to score to keep his job. I mean, now I'm pretty sure they're going to keep him no matter what. But, you know, I think at this point he has to score 37 points every game for the rest of the season <laughs> to possibly get to whatever number was 25 that he had to reach. So it's been a delight. Uh, thank you, Iowa, for keeping us entertained in, in a very unique way. Well, I, I'm glad that uh, listeners of the show will get to make sure that our new co-host is still well aboard the uh, the Brian Ferentz train, just like Doug was. I, I think that that helps set the tone. But for people who are new to this podcast, just a little bit of background about it. So we launched, I believe it was two years ago, uh, close to three years ago at this point. And basically the idea is, you know, we are a show that talks about the college football playoff year round. It, which is a funny thing for me because I did not grow up and, I, you know, I, I'm not a, a somebody who grew up around Blue Bloods and around playoff contenders and around national championships. But the way that we do it is a little bit different. So in season, what we do is we create a board of no more than 12 teams. And if you are not on the list of 12 teams that are legitimate college football playoff contenders, we do not talk about you. You are not part of our world. And every single week you have an opportunity to get voted on. And you, the listener, will have an opportunity to help do that with our Twitter polls. And every single week, we will remove somebody. If somebody comes on, somebody has to come off. That's how it works. We cap out at 12. And part of the idea behind this was in relation to the 12-team playoff, which will be coming in a couple of years. And uh, I think that we've had updates since this show dropped. I mean, look, it, it was August, September. We don't need to go through all the, the minutia of the playoff right the second. but. We only want to talk about teams that we consider to be true playoff contenders. Now, this year will be a little bit different because we are debuting only one week before the college football playoff rankings comes out. So we know a little bit more about these teams than maybe we do in previous years. But we will still stay with it. We will still have an opportunity uh, to get some teams in. I mean, look, if we had debuted last week, we would have shaked up this entire playoff conversation on this episode. We'll have an opportunity to do that next week. And yeah, Bobak, I'm excited. I'm excited. Are you ready? Absolutely. Let's go over some of these programs. Let's see who we think has a, the strongest chance for being in the playoff this year, the final year where we've got four before we go to the promised land of 12. And we'll do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Bobic, here's how we're going to do this, all right? Mm -hmm. We are going to jump in, and we're going to go back and forth. I'll let you go first, you know? You're the new guy. We'll sure. let you go first. And we're just going to go team by team, and we're going to get to about six or eight of the teams that we feel like are no-brainers. So okay. you pick first. We'll go back and forth. If we are not unanimous, if there is any question that this team belongs as a college football playoff contender, we each have the right to veto, and we can push it to the Wednesday show where we'll have an opportunity to discuss. We'll put it to a vote on the Twitter accounts. And uh, and two out of three gets you onto the board, whether or not uh, the other person agrees with you. So let's go ahead and get started. Bobak, where do you go first? All right. My first team is the one that I think is probably the easiest choice to be in the playoff right now, and that's Michigan. Because they've beaten the teams the way they're supposed to. I know they haven't had the challenges that they're rival Ohio State has against Notre Dame and Penn State, but they have done everything they're supposed to. That defense is just not letting up. Uh, there's 
uh, there was a Rutgers fan last year who wrote something that has forever stuck in my head about what Michigan was last year and seems even more so this year. Watching Michigan is like watching a psychopath drown a ferret in a bathtub. At first, there's a lot of thrashing around. The ferret draws a little bit of blood and you start to think, hey, that little guy might just make it out of here. But then that psychopath's grip doesn't loosen. It tightens and the thrashing slows uh, slows down and the ferret begins to accept its fate, culminating in an anticlimactic gurgle from the tub. That has been so many Michigan games this year. Michigan State was more like the ferret was already dead. But, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, we'll we'll just say that. But at the same time, this has just been methodical, you know, mania in terms of control over their opponents. J.J. McCarthy has been astonishing. I think he's, they're so good that people don't even talk about him as much. And I think perhaps there was some attention over, obviously, you know, the, the running back Blake Corum. But at the same time, I uh, I think with the way Michigan's schedule is shaping up, we're going to get a Heisman push for him or see one um, before the end of this regular season. No, it's really unfortunate that uh, obviously they canceled their two-game series against UCLA because they deserve a showcase game. They have been the most consistent team in the pro- in the country this year. I think that is unimpeachable. They have been. And obviously some questions about who they're doing it against, but like 49 to 0, 52 to 7, 52 to 10, these are real scores. And I think that, uh, you know, their game against Minnesota ages just a little bit better with what Minnesota did against Iowa this past week. And obviously they beat them to a pulp. Like you said, I've heard the comparison. I I mean, I love that comparison of uh, drowning a ferret. I've heard the boa constrictor, obviously Mm -hmm. that Harbaugh boa constrictor that they had on Fox. I've heard crock potting. That's that's, I think been a, a good way to describe what they do. And look, next week they get Purdue. It's really in two weeks where we're going to get to finally see maybe what they're made of. They go on the road to Penn State. But clearly, I mean, this is, like you said, a no-brainer. Maybe the most no-brainer team in the college football playoff conversation on this entire program. The Michigan Wolverines, you are in. Congratulations. Let's go to number two. I'm going to go with the team that, heading into last week on my CBS 133 ballot, I voted number one and I kept them there last week, but they really, they really tried to blow it, man. They've really, really, really tried to blow it, but I'm going to go with the Washington Huskies, the Washington Huskies, one of the most explosive offenses in the country uh, <laughs> heading into last week. Yeah. The, the number one, the, the number one passing offense in the country, top three scoring offense, top three total offense. Again, they tried to blow it real bad against Arizona State, only winning 15 to 7, only scoring a touchdown on a pick six. But it all counts. The, the games all count. It is a win. They are 7 and 0. And to me, they have one of the most impressive wins in the country this year. They go and they beat Oregon. Obviously, they get the benefit of a missed field goal late, but that comeback by Michael Penix Jr., that throw on the touchdown was crazy. Crazy. One of the best throws that we've seen in college football this year. Uh, To me, I mean, J.J. McCarthy and Michael Penix Jr. are probably the two leaders right now in the Heisman conversation. I think my question with with, uh, McCarthy, not to, to get sidetracked, is... Like, is he going to be able to have his, his Heisman moment? I mean, it has to come against Ohio State if it's going to happen. But Washington has been incredible this year. They're the only undefeated remaining in the Pac-12, so their pathway is there. They have some big games remaining at USC versus Utah, at Oregon State versus Washington State. 
And if they're able to get through and be a 12 and one team, I think they're absolutely a team that belongs in the college football playoff. Yeah, I think Washington, I think you have to take a, a bit of a, you know, every team has a down day and how do they respond to it? And Except Michigan. Yeah, except Michigan. So far, so far. But all I have to say is Arizona State is a little underrated right now for a one win team. I mean, everyone's like, oh, they're terrible. They, you know, they're, that's Jalen Rashada ended up being, you know, injured, all of that stuff. But at the same time, you know, Arizona State has taken teams really close. They were shut out by Fresno State. And then after that, they've absolutely put scares in USC. If you see the USC-Arizona State score, it looks like USC blew them out. But no, USC did not get into that game until very late. That was the game where we started to notice USC really may not have what it takes, and they don't have what it takes to be a playoff team. They had a close game against Cal. They Obviously, they nearly upset Colorado. And then here, they go to Seattle, and they nearly do it. So I think Arizona State is going to shock some team down the road. It just wasn't yesterday. Or they should say, wasn't this weekend. Now, Washington may have benefited from a bit of a holding penalty at one point in that game as well. But that pick six, that was the deciding factor. And I think, you know, you can forgive Michael Penix Jr. for having an off night. You know, it was with 64% completion, two interceptions, no touchdowns. The rest of the team, the defense especially, stepped up and kept them in the game. That's something you can't say. That, I mean, you can compare them against USC. When Caleb Williams doesn't have a good day, like at Notre Dame, the whole team collapses. Um, that didn't happen with Washington. And I think that is why they still deserve to be a part of the playoff picture. And certainly, they're still the clubhouse leader for the Pac-12. And it's worth noting. I mean, they've lost this game last year. They went on the road against uh, a similarly bad Arizona State team and came away with a loss. So I think being able to survive in advance is an important part of making the college football playoff. And so, Washington, congratulations. You're on the list. All right, Bobic, after Washington, where are we going next? You know, I, especially after watching this past weekend, I kind of had to re-rank my own top 25, and I'm going with the two-time returning champs, George Bulldogs. While they haven't looked as strong as in previous years, I think that has given them an unfair critique from some quarters. I think they can certainly step up. They did against Kentucky and absolutely blew them out. Brock Bowers being injured is a huge factor, though. Um, he's been a big part of helping Carson Beck get used to that offense. He arguably obviously won that Auburn game almost single-handedly in the end. I'm interested to see how they're going to do against Florida in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I'm very interested to see how Mizzou stacks up against them because they're another team in my kind of outer edge of who could be a potential contender, as well as Ole Miss. I mean, it's going to be a fun stretch for them. It's going to be a fun way to see how they develop out. And I think until they prove otherwise, until they have a game where they just don't show up, they are still a playoff contender. And I'm absolutely, I think the real chance is going to be if they can go all the way through and win the SEC title game. Yeah, we, we probably won't know a ton about them until a little later in the season. But I will say the latter part of their schedule has turned out to be a little better than expected. Missouri, like you mentioned, a one-loss team right now. Ole Miss, I, I don't know if Ole Miss can beat a team like Georgia, but they're going to have a chance on the road against Tennessee, and Tennessee nearly beat Alabama, obviously, last week. So three legitimate tests. I think that we will actually know something about this Georgia team before they get to the SEC championship game, but so far they're 7-0. And look, I, I live by a simple rule. If you win two straight national championships, then you're probably a college football playoff contender until you're not. 
And so congratulations, for example, uh, you know, 1934, Minnesota, I would have had you on my board, you know, and, and they were the last team, of course, to win three straight. I do think, like you said, some legitimate question marks about this team, but like Georgia's reached the point where we're trying to find reasons not to put them in and not trying to find reasons to put them in. And I think that's a pretty good indicator that you probably belong on the list. Yeah, the longer the season's gone on, the more Georgia just looks like they're doing exactly what it takes to keep themselves in the picture. And we'll get that opportunity here in the final stretch to see whether or not they deserve it or not. So, Shahan, who do you think we should do next? You know what? Let's, uh, let's go back to the Big Ten. Let's go with Ohio State. Another team that I think has some real flaws, some real issues, but at the same time, like maybe just everybody does this year. And they have two of the best wins in college football this year, beating Penn State pretty handily. I, I mean, the scoreboard didn't look handy, but it was it was handily. And topping Notre Dame, a, a win that only becomes more impressive after Notre Dame went on the road and crushed USC. So it's a uh, or sorry, that was at home. But but Ohio State, obviously, still working through some growing pains at the quarterback position, but they have a couple of key advantages. They have maybe the best player in the entire country in Marvin Harrison Jr., a player who they just force-fed <laughs> basically to beat Penn State. I think I think you can make a pretty legitimate case that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the difference in the Penn State versus Ohio State game. And the other part about it is that I think we're ready to reach the point of saying this Ohio State defense is an elite unit. On the defensive line, they completely made Penn State State hell. Even without Denzel Burke in the lineup at cornerback, they managed to shut down their receivers. Their, you know, Penn State's receivers were not getting any separation. And so I, I think this is a unit that, especially when you look through Big Ten play, I mean, I think it almost makes it, I don't want to say impossible, but very improbable that any of these teams before Michigan have a chance to hang with them. Because I think that just having that defense gives them such a high floor. And so... Obviously, like in previous years, the conversation will almost exclusively come down to what happens on the road against number two Michigan on November 25th. But we even saw last year losing that game. They still had a chance to get in and they still were the four seed just because some things shook their way. So easy team uh, to me in in the college football playoff conversation and one who, by the way, uh, I I think in our last episode that we recorded, I picked Ohio State preseason to win the national championship. And they haven't lived up to it to me quite as yet, but you see the pieces that could come together to make it happen. Absolutely. I think while maybe perhaps Ohio State isn't where you thought preseason, the rest of the entire college football landscape also doesn't really have a team that is so far. I mean, again, we've talked about Michigan at the beginning of this sort of list, but it could be that when they square off against each other, Ohio State has what it takes. I think part of it is so many people expect Ohio State to have that explosive offense because you had C.J. Stroud. You had some real talent um, behind the ball, you know, for the last almost decade or so. And I think, again, Kyle McCourt can develop into that, but it's just been it's been a tough sledding. So we're seeing a defensive Ohio State. And, you know, I I still remember the whole I believe in that manager that defense wins championships and Ohio State is absolutely doing it. And with those two stellar, you know, marquee wins against Notre Dame. And Penn State, it's hard to to argue against them. I think they have a very strong argument, and I'm absolutely looking forward to that Michigan game because if they can go on the road and win at Michigan, I don't think there's going to be any doubt 
heading into that Big Ten title game and whoever gets spit out on the other end of it. At this point, is it going to be Wisconsin? I don't know. So maybe they'll play Wisconsin twice. But um, I think uh, uh, I think definitely Ohio State's a strong, strong choice. Okay, come on, don't count my boy Tanner Mordecai. I or I, I don't know. Is he even going to be back for that game? I don't know. Braden Locke might be the quarterback. I, point is, I, I think Ohio State will be okay. So we're up to four. Michigan, Ohio State, Washington, Georgia. Let's hear number five. I am going to go with Florida State because while they're, it feels like one of those teams where they just manage to win games where you're not entirely impressed. They don't ever seem to put together a complete win. What they need to do, they get it done, and they've remained undefeated. And seeing them defeat Duke, and it's not like Duke is a terrible team this season. I think that's the weird thing. We always have to remind ourselves, no, no, Duke is actually a solid middle-of-the-pack ACC team this year. Maybe not as good as we were expecting when they upset Clemson at the beginning of the year, but to be able to take Duke out, that's a significant win. And the offensive riches they have with the Seminoles, Jordan Travis is just an absolute phenomenon. I think he's like, now they're all-time offensive leader in Knowles history, but having Kayon Coleman, Johnny Wilson, Jahan Bell, Jaheim Bell, pardon me, you know, as receivers, you know, and, and, you know, a solid tight end, Trey Benson behind, you know, running the ball. They've been able to absolutely maintain that level that I think is bringing a lot of, you know, a lot of expectations because watching the Seminoles kind of go through the wilderness for those years was was just striking for those of us, again, like me who grew up in the 90s. My first game I ever went to was watching Florida State. And, you know, that was my impression was these guys are really, really good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, to just see them, I think that it's going to be exciting. And I, I'm not sure where their challenge is going to lie. I mean, Miami is decent enough. They're certainly a little clumsy this year. I mean, you could even argue that they they may have had a chance to, to beat Clemson without even taking them to the overtime. But at Wake, at Pitt, at Florida, I mean, that's going to be a good game in and of itself just because of the rivalry aspect of it and the unpredictability. But that ACC title game, I'm not sure. They seem to almost have arguably among the teams we've discussed the clearest path um, in terms of challenge. I don't see as many challengers as the previous teams we've mentioned. And for those reasons and the fact that they just managed to win, the Knolls are, are my choice to be on this list. No, I, I think it's a great choice. One stat that I saw earlier today is that I believe you look at uh, let me let me find the the stats. So Florida State has beaten three teams to this point that rank in the FPI top thirty, and you look at I believe it's Washington, Texas, Oregon, Alabama, like basically the entire rest of the top ten basically have two combined. So I mean they have played probably a slightly better schedule than people think. Obviously beating LSU, like you mentioned, Duke. You know, they're having a great year. Now, look, if, if Riley Leonard doesn't get hurt, I think this game is a little closer at mm-hmm. the end. But it's a 38-20 win over a top 20 opponent. Obviously, that Clemson win, they're still top 30 in FPI at this point. And, you know, Miami's going to be an interesting test for them at Florida. But I think, like you said, they probably can sustain a loss. And as long as they win the ACC championship game, which could be against Louisville, could be against North Carolina, could be, you know, against Duke again they're going to have an opportunity to add another quality win most likely. And again, in, in a year where I don't think that there is a hyper elite team, the fact that Florida States managed to find a way against so many very good opponents is I think a a great testament to what they can accomplish. So I'm going to move 
out west now. Actually, I believe to uh, the team. Do I have this right? That played. No, nah, no, nah, that was in 2021. Their bowl opponent in 2021. And that's the Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoma, a team that I was a little lower on coming into the year. And a team that, again, I still have some questions about. That's going to be a consistent theme with this year in college football. But they are right now 7-0. They have a win over Texas, a 34-30 win. They also tried to blow it last week against UCF, needing a two-point conversion stop to prevent a comeback. But I think this Oklahoma team has done enough to belong in this conversation. And the question for them is going to be, if they sustain a loss somewhere, are they able to overcome it with the schedule that they have? Because the Big 12 gave them a bizarre schedule, a, a, an incredibly easy schedule. They don't get really any of the other Texas schools. They don't get Kansas State this year. That's an opportunity for a big win that they won't get. And so, you know, it's at Kansas, at Oklahoma State, which that Bedlam game will have circled on the calendars, versus West Virginia at BYU versus TCU. It's just... All right. You know, like, I don't know what that hey, is. You know, Oklahoma State's just shown signs of life. At this point, they're they definitely they not have. the team that, that got blown out at home to South Alabama. But uh T- turns out uh, letting one quarterback take first team reps <laughs> actually helps your team quite a bit. Uh, anyway, this is not an Oklahoma State podcast. <laughs> but I, I think that they could probably withstand that. But they need Texas keep win- winning in order to, to, I think, stay in the good graces. But I think that Oklahoma has legitimately showed that uh, that they have the ability to make it through a year at 11-1, and 12-0, and, and have a rematch most likely against Texas in that Big 12 title game. And if they win that game, I think they're in. So I think to me, this is, I would say, the last no-brainer that we have on the list. But I'm curious where you're going to go next to try to make a case. Well, first of all, I completely agree. That's my, that's, that, on my group of like, these are the, the, the contenders right now, th- those were my top six. Absolutely. Maybe slightly different order, but nothing significant because they're all, at this point in the season, really, you could pick almost any of those six and you'd have a safe bet. Now, I'm going to go to a team that I never thought two, two or three games into the season I would be picking. But maybe it's just reliability. Maybe I just believe in uh, the, the vision of the head coach. But Alabama... Alabama just keeps looking scarier each week. I mean, granted, they were down, I mean, they were down, what, 20 to 7 to Tennessee? But at the same time, they just kind of shrugged it off and then the second half absolutely rocked Tennessee. It's just, it seems like the inevitability. You know, Nick Saban should just give a press conference where he just says, I am inevitable. And I, I would, I would absolutely <laughs> die because he, they just looked like they figured it out. We remember how you know you lost the game to Texas. Fine, everyone was like, "Wow, wow Texas really looked like they outmuscled Bama." And then the next week, South Florida, everyone was just wondering, "Are they going to actually manage to lose this game?" And they were trying different quarterbacks. Then they went back to Jalen Milrow, and then suddenly they worked it out. It's like they just figured it out. That was the tune-up game where they were able to get things rolling. You know, I have to also credit. You know, we're just talking about Oklahoma. The one question I have about Oklahoma is their kicking game. That's one thing that could come back to haunt them in a close game. But Alabama, meanwhile, holy cow. Like, you know, Will Riker is absolutely a phenomenal kicker. They've done everything they've asked of him. 15 for 15 on field goals, 25 for 25 on extra points. I mean, at this point, I just think it would be wild to pick up a pick against Alabama because the rest of their schedule, I mean, we're going to get a, a good – idea of them in the next couple of weeks with LSU, 
And at Kentucky, because while Kentucky certainly Georgia absolutely took care of them, I'm very curious to see how Alabama will do. Auburn, while it is the Iron Bowl, I'm not sure I, I necessarily have a whole lot of faith in Freeze this season. And then will it that will that be what it'll boil down to? Will we just head into that SEC championship game with Alabama again? So I'm and uh, probably against Georgia. So I'm very curious to see how this works out. So my choice right now would be Alabama because if there's going to be any one lost team at this point, I think it's going to be them. <sighs> I I just I really wanted to be able to to like forget about Alabama for a while to just be able to enjoy living without the tide and. Before this past week, I think I would have voted no. But I think that that second half against Tennessee was the first time that I thought, this looks like Alabama. And it was in every aspect of the game, like you mentioned, (laughs) offense, defense, and special teams. Uh, Defensively, they've really been unimpeachable so far this year. They've been a really good unit. And offensively, I think they're starting to find some identity, especially throwing the ball. I mean, they are... They did not let Jalen Milrow throw through their first couple of games. Now, a couple times a game, you know, you get a couple of those shots and it sets up everything else. I I think it changes the geometry of the field in a lot of ways. And so I'm going to reluctantly say yes, that Alabama belongs in. But they are they, they're on my they're right on, on the edge, man. They're right on the edge. I'm looking for any excuse to try to nudge them out. Uh, but, you know, again, it's six, eight. I'm, I'm sure they're going to find a way. The big thing, they will have to beat Georgia at minimum to make the playoff. So that makes the pathway harder. But I don't know, man, it's it's Nick Saban. Like you can't count against him uh, until you can count against him. Yeah, if he's going to do it, he's going to I mean, they're going to if they're going to make it into the playoff, they're absolutely going to punch their ticket and earn it because there's no other there's no other path. It looks like it's going to go through Georgia. But again, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'm very curious to see how they do with LSU this weekend. I mean, uh, LSU, you know, or actually, pardon me, in uh, in two weeks, pardon me, because after what they did to LSU, obviously blew out Army, which it was very fun to watch their tweet trying to spin destroying the troops, you know, in a positive way on homecoming. But <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I just think I'm really looking forward to that game to see how if Bama, if Bama blows out LSU or at least takes care of them and shuts down that offense as well. I mean, it's just going to be even more inevitable, you know, that that this is this is steering into the, the only chance at stopping Bama is going to be Georgia. So who knew? Time to time to, to try and mix things up. OK, time to time to mix things up. I'm going to go with Oregon State. So Oregon State has a 21 to 7 win over Utah. They have a 36 to 24 win over UCLA. Their only loss was on the road in a very emotional game against Washington State. Obviously, the two sort of left behind pairing. And, you know, Washington State, obviously, uh, they had that, that sort of really bad game against Arizona, but they've been good this year. They've legitimately been good this year. And so I look at, at Oregon State and I look, you know, the, they're going to get Washington and at Oregon in the last two weeks of the season. That's the hard part. But this is a team that's been awesome on both sides of the ball. Quarterback DJ Uyunglele has been everything that they needed from him. Uh, he's come in and just added both a passing and rushing component that I think is great. They might have one of the best offensive lines, if not the best tackle combo in the entire country. And it's paying off with uh, with Damian Martinez, you know, 676 yards rushing, three touchdowns. 
I, I mean, and Deshaun Fenwick also as as their second leading rusher. I mean, he has been an explosive player. And defensively, they haven't been as good as they were last year, but they've still been really good. And so this is a team that I think has a case to be the most complete team in the Pac-12. Now, the question is, will they be able to match the highs of Washington? I think it's a fair question. They get Washington at home. They're going to play Oregon on the road in the final, as far as we know, matchup of the Civil War. It's a big opportunity in front of them. And I mean, I'll I'll tell you what, I think that they're fully capable of winning every one of their games the rest of the way. I'll say this much. I think Oregon State, if they can win out, will certainly have a very strong chance of making that playoff. But I am I'm not entirely buying the Beavers right now because I think uh, first veto. Yeah, that loss to Wazoo. I uh, it seemed imp- it seemed reasonable at the time, but just Washington State has been flopping around right now in the last several games. I know some of the Cougars fans are getting impatient, especially. After that really embarrassing loss with Arizona and, you know, they previously lost to UCLA, they're on a three-game losing streak. And again, no, no, you know, no, I, I don't want to say it's a moral moral loss, but, you know, moral victory in that loss to, to Oregon. But I think the, the Wazoo loss stings more as each week goes on. And I, I think the problem, my problem with Oregon State is they just really haven't played other than that Utah and Utah again. You know, we just now officially found out Cam Rising is not coming back this season at all. So it's still not the full Utah effect. Yeah, okay, Utah just went and beat USC, but what when have they not at this point? You know, uh, <laughs> so I think that that's that's my problem with it right now because they they and again if they can manage to finish out the schedule with some of these wins, especially that back to back in the final two weeks hosting Washington and and playing Oregon in the Civil War, if they can win those two games, and yes, I'm absolutely going to be with Oregon State. But for right now, San Diego State, beating them means absolutely nothing. I mean, Mountain West, they are absolutely, they are the probably one of the greatest disappointments in the G5 is San Diego State right now. Beating San Jose State, you know, la-di-da. And Cal, again, you know, Auburn beat Cal, which at the t- at the beginning of the season sounded kind of like, oh, wow, 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 that was a great game. And then they you shouldn't see- Cal was the better team. Cal was the yeah. better team in that and game. And then you just see how the teams work out. And you're kind of like, oh, OK, all right. <laughs> so for me, it's hard. It's hard to, ga- ga- to gauge it. And I'm not sure where to put UCLA and all of this, to be fair. That's again, that's one of those wins where I'm kind of not giving them full credit because I just want to see how UCLA is because UCLA has been searching for, you know, meeting on offense. Their defense is is fine. And again, you know, Oregon State managed to throw up some points, but they, as you said, they've got an amazing quarterback and offensive line protecting them. But I, that's why I'm, I'm a little hesitant to put them as a playoff contender right now. There's certainly a few others, actually a few others in the Pac-10. Or, ah, am I that old? <laughs> <laughs> there's a few others in the Pac-8. No, there's a few others in the uh, in the Pac-10. Pac-10, gosh, started in the Pac-12 that I would uh, – that I would put ahead of them at this well, point. Well, who do you have uh, winning the Southwest Conference race this year? No, but uh, <laughs> I think uh, is it compelling Those rice to you, owls, Damn it! No, <laughs> <laughs> is it compelling to you though the fact that uh, that Washington State very well might be going to the Big Ten title game after beating Wisconsin? Oh man, you know, <laughs> it, isn't that the 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 rich tapestry we live in? <laughs> <laughs> because what, and we to be fair, where, where a team is at the beginning of the season and where they are midseason, because right now I know that's a big question. Like yeah. some of these championship caliber teams, we're going to see how they can, do they have the stamina? I mean, do they get gassed? Are they running out of fuel in the tank with 
things that they can with conditioning, but also things you can't control, like, you know, tragic injuries. That's a factor in it as well. But I think Oregon State, can they make the playoff? Yes. And are they one of the ones I would put in the conversation now? No. All right. Well, let's go to you one more time. I'll bring up one more after this, and then maybe we can uh, push some teams to uh, to next to later on in the week. All right. I am going to go then with a daring pick, a team that I think has is still a dark horse playoff contender, and that's Mizzou. Now, hear me out. We're going to figure it out very quickly because this weekend they're going to be playing in Athens with Georgia. So we're going to find out real quick. This is either going to be a one-week-only experience where I'm thinking, you know what? Don't count them out completely, and then they get absolutely clobbered. Or maybe they lose a close one and we just think like, okay, New Year's Six team, not playoff team potentially here. But watching Brady Cook, who can run and who can throw that ball, and Luther Burden, who has been absolutely everything that Mizzou fans had hoped for, and they've got other receivers too. I know, you know, Theo Weiss, Mookie Cooper, uh, tight end Brett Norfleet. You know, they also have one of the best running backs right now because they lead. I mean, I love Cody Schrader's story. You know, not only does he lead the SEC, but he started as a D2 player who walked on to Mizzou. I mean, everything about Mizzou, the more I've gotten into them, the more I kind of want to see, can they be that dark horse team that, that makes it farther than anyone expected in the preseason? Because at this point, I don't think anybody in the in the Tiger fans have expected Mizzou would be quite this far outside of the extreme fans, which I love extreme fans everywhere. But this has been exciting. So that is my stretch pick right now. I would love to, I think Mizzou has a chance, but we're going to find out in about well, in a few days from now. I feel like I've just been sitting here waiting for Mizzou to turn back into a pumpkin, like to, to look for something to criticize. But like you said. I mean, Brady Cook, the way that we talk about him feels insane because, like, he has been so good for this team. He, I mean, he's a game manager. He's not necessarily somebody who's going to be a top five pick in the NFL draft, but, like, he just delivers the ball, man. He, he just gets out of the pocket. He makes the right play. He makes the right read. And he has been a great player for them. I, I, like you said, the, the combo of Cody Schrader and Nathaniel Pete at running back has been really solid. Their wide receiver core just unbelievable and their defense has probably been the most underrated part of their team too they they have been not just this year but last year they were really good on the defensive side of the ball as well the issue to me and the reason i'm going to veto this is i just look at those next two games at georgia versus tennessee and after the way that they lost to lsu at home which well isn't a bad loss like let's be clear it's not a bad loss I just don't know if it's a playoff loss, right? I, I don't know if it's a playoff caliber loss. And we have an opportunity, I guess it's not this week, I guess it's next week, to potentially have a Mizzou conversation after they play Georgia. And maybe, maybe you know, because look, we'll vote somebody in next week, and Mizzou has a bye, they're not going to ruin their case this week, so maybe we'll have a conversation to get them in next week. But I just cannot get there right now and so I'm going to use my first veto of the day. <laughs> All right. We'll see how they play. And you're right. Uh, pardon me. Not this week. Next weekend. 
Yes, yes, yes. No, it's weird to look at the schedules, man. And I don't even know what day it is. Like, again, we, we've been off of this uh, this podcast for, for like three months at this point. I'm still trying to remember how to talk again. So, uh, you know, eventually we'll, we'll get this thing a little bit uh, – we'll, we'll get the thing up and rolling. But Yeah, and, you know, I'm maybe, go with the, my- maybe the nice thing is that Mizzou isn't playing a midseason – uh, G5 or FCS team. That's a confusing yes. thing. I think they're just taking a break <laughs> rather than playing, you know, I'm not going to name any names, but, you know, some of these teams are kind of like, oh, it's the classic SEC SOCON challenge that comes midseason. <laughs> I mean, LSU played Army last week, which which that's a weird one to me because one, on October 21st is a bizarre thing, but two, why would your midseason cool-off game be against an option team? That doesn't sound fun whatsoever for anybody. <laughs> but you know, they made it you fun. You, though. They made it fun for their home fans. <laughs> that was woof. <laughs> My goodness, that was something else. So we'll have plenty more teams to discuss. You know, some of the teams that might come up uh, later this week. Maybe a Texas conversation. Mm-hmm. Maybe a Penn State conversation. Maybe a Ole Miss Air Force conversation. Yeah, Ole Miss. Probably a team that we, you know, maybe a team that probably should be discussed right now, but we're going to skip it for right now. But I think first as a no-brainer, we need to put Oregon on the list. And I would consider myself, again, a little more Oregon skeptic than most, but they were a field goal away from beating Washington. They obviously have handled their business outside of that. And if Oregon State doesn't have the most complete team in the Pac-12, then it's probably because Oregon does. You know, obviously uh, a really, really good running back in Bucky Irving, who I think deserves mention among the, the the nation's best. Their offensive line has hit another level. And, and you knew they were going to do that with uh, obviously all the Mario Cristobal recruits left on the roster, but it's starting to come together defensively. They, they play physical, they play aggressive and, Obviously, Dan Lanning got a lot of, uh, you know, a a lot of crap for the way that he managed that game against Washington. But I like the fact that Oregon is willing to play with house money and is willing to take chances. And especially for a team that has the defense that they have, I mean, I think it's the right move. I, I think that you have to play aggressive and I think that you have to play to win when you have a defense that can bail you out. And so... I think that this Oregon team belongs on the on the list. I didn't even mention Bo Nix, who I think is. <laughs> I, I think Bo Nix is very good. I, I do not know about building billboards right in my backyard in Dallas, Texas for his Heisman campaign. Uh, or, uh, by the way, on my place of employment where I can't go to CBSports.com without seeing a Bo Nix <laughs> ad on the top of my site. But... I do think that he has been very good. He has been more than good enough to win. And with what they have around him, I I think that this is a team that when you look down the stretch, it's probably going to come down to that game against Oregon State. They definitely have a great schedule for asserting themselves as a potential one-loss playoff team. And I think them and Alabama were my two biggest choices as one-loss teams. Um, if they can, they have a great game this weekend coming up at Utah. That's going to be an exciting one to see, particularly the way Utah is playing right now. You know, what they did against USC was, you know, a hell of a game, hell of an ending. Cal, USC, at Arizona State, none of those three are teams where I, I'd be expecting them to, com- to be, you know, to be a major challenge. USC, okay, I'm going to take that back. USC, who knows? USC right now seems who like knows? a who team. Knows? 
that could just one day have an insane game where suddenly Caleb Williams turns into Caleb Williams and you get some firefight game because the defense certainly isn't going to stop them. But I mean, but you know, we're going to get a game that suddenly surprises everyone. But at this point, I, I, I can't even begin to predict USC. But I think you, uh, Oregon going through that final stretch will have enough of a challenge to maintain that if they can win out, they should have a, a spot at the playoff for sure. I'm absolutely curious to see who they go up against. Are we going to get a rematch in the Pac-12 title game? I'm not sure. And what we saw, you know, against Washington in their first matchup was such a great game that I it, you couldn't necessarily pick who would win the sequel if we get to an opportunity to see one. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, I agree. I think Oregon's a great pick. Well, and, and I think the other part of it, too, as a big Washington fan, you're not going to get Husky Stadium whenever you get that rematch if Oregon and Washington play again. That was, I think, a huge part of how the end of that game went. So, look, I, I mean, here's the reality. We've got some really good teams coming in from the Pac-12. Again, more that we might be able to discuss on uh, on the later week's show, which we will have, I believe, coming out Thursday this week. But it's going to be a heck of a ride. And, and the other part of it, too, is when you look at the Pac-12 schedules, all of these teams are playing each other down the stretch. They they really backloaded the schedule, and I think it's paid off in a great way as a whole bunch of teams are going to have an opportunity to make their playoff case. So right now, here's who we have on the list. Michigan, Washington, Georgia, Ohio State, Florida State, Oklahoma, Alabama, and Oregon. So we have eight. We have up to four spots. No more. We don't have to put four in, but we do have four spots available. So here's what we're going to do. All right. On on a Thursday show, we're going to go through and we are going to take these teams uh, that we mentioned, the Texas, the Penn State, and we're going to put them to a vote. On our Twitter account, CFB Survivor Show. Make sure and follow that. Twitter X, I, I don't know. Whatever we're calling it these days. And here's what's going to happen. You get one vote. Each of us get one vote. And two out of three is enough to vote a team in. Up to 12 teams. And again, we we might talk about eight teams and, and five of them get enough votes. But we'll have to take one out then. That's just how it's going to work. Up to No more than 12 teams. So make sure and keep an eye out on that on Twitter slash X slash whatever we're calling it these days. Or honestly, I, I don't know, man. Just just send me in votes. I don't really care. Just, just We'll have to find some way to be able to do this. But for right now, we're going to do it on Twitter slash X. And, uh, and yeah, that allows you to be part of the show. That allows you to obviously have a vote and have a part of the conversation as well. So we're looking forward to that. That's obviously going to continue to be a weekly part of our program. But for now, we have eight... That's a good start, and we're going to close our show right after this. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Bobic. so this is your first episode of the College Football Survivor Show. I think it went pretty well. I, I, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully the people like it. Look, me and you are still getting to know each other. We're still learning each other a little bit, so... One thing that me and Doug did whenever we did start this show is we would each come flipping off a random question about each other to kind of get to know each other. So I'm going to make it easy this time. I did not let you know in advance that we were going to do this. What is the best college football game that you've ever been to? Oh, I can easily answer that. That was 2004. I had a ticket to go see USC host Cal when it was Aaron Rodgers with Cal and USC's Matt Leinard. 
and it was the first time game day had ever been the USC. And that game was as advertised. It came down. Aaron Rodgers tied, at the time, the NCAA record for completions in a row by any quarterback. And it came down to a defensive stop at the close of the game. At the close, if you've been to the LA Coliseum, it's open on one end, but on the closed side. And that was the first time, because LA is not notorious for a loud atmosphere in any of the teams. That was the loudest I've ever heard the LA Coliseum. That was ear ringing loud. And uh, that was by far the most exciting game I've been to in person. How about yourself? Yeah, it, it's tough, man. Like, Obviously, I got an opportunity to, to cover a whole lot of Baylor games whenever I was down there. Uh, I've been around the state of Texas a whole lot. But I think for me, I, I just keep coming back to 2014 Baylor versus TCU, the 61-58 game. Because they were down 58-37 to six minutes into the fourth quarter. Like, they had nine minutes left in the game. They come back, 24-point turnaround that obviously ends up completely changing their season. It gets them into the college football playoff conversation, which, uh, you know, as people might remember, uh, they were the first team left out. Uh, people down in Waco might remember a little something about that. People down in Fort Worth might remember a little something about that. But it was an incredible game. Uh, obviously, a, you know, a field rush. Obviously, you know, everybody chirping it for years and years people still chirping about it even even close to a decade later so that was an incredible game if i had to give a second though i'd also say i was on the field for uh <laughs> for texas a&m's nine overtime 74 72 game yeah that was ridiculous so for people who, who don't know and they've changed some of these rules because of covid as an excuse but usually you get to go down to the field with about five minutes left in the game and I was down on the field with five minutes left in the game. By the time that the game was over, I'd been on the field for a whole nother game. Yeah. <laughs> the entire thing went back and forth. Obviously, that is why they ended up changing the rule uh, to now after the third overtime, they only have two point conversions, which is total garbage. That, that was one of the great. Yeah. Like, I was who watched that, that game and was who watched that game and thought, oh, man, I hated this. Like, come on, it's not like we were having nine overtime games every single week. That was not something that was happening. That was a but, beautiful game. Oh, it was great. Yeah, you know, it's so funny it's too because Ohio, pardon me, LSU had been involved in a previous five or seven overtime game years earlier. And I remember that game yeah. only because I was watching at a sports bar. I was watching one game and I was like, I came home, turned on the TV an hour later and it's still going. And I'm like, why is LSU still playing? I think it was LSU Kentucky. I'm I'm not quite sure. It was years ago. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I also remember I had a photographer covering the game you were just talking about, the Texas A&M LSU game, and he had never really covered a college football game before because um, he'd done other sports like soccer. And so he was like, I don't know what to do about my battery. I'm literally running and plugging another battery into the wall. <laughs> you know, he was just swapping batteries every every possession because he did. No one expects that you're going to need battery life for that extra time, which is such a such a logistical quirk. I never would have expected, especially, you know, on the media side of her photox. But man, that was that game was fun to watch on TV, fun for everyone involved. You know, somebody had to lose. But dang that everyone won in the, in the long term on that game. Well, and it's funny, too, because that was like before the Joe Burrow thing happened and so you're just like 
Yeah, man, they're just like using Joe Burrow like he's Colin Klein out there, like just like using him as a battering ram. It was so crazy in hindsight that, that was Joe Burrow who they had <laughs> out there. And uh, Texas A&M found a way to win. And uh, man, that was that was a time. That was a time. But yeah, so that's that's our favorite college football games uh, that we've ever seen in person. So, Bobic, next week, it's your responsibility to come prepared with a question to close the show. But this was fun. I, you know, I, I think we should keep doing this. I, yeah. I think we should keep doing this. What do you think? <laughs> I think so. This is real fun. Um, thank everyone for for listening to us and uh, hearing us kind of uh, feel it out as we get smoother as these progress. But this was really interesting. I, it's fun to talk college football and it's fun to talk with you, Shehan. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So thank you everybody for joining us. We'll be back again, like we mentioned, hopefully on Thursday with our second show of the week. We'll get you prepared for what are we at week nine? I think we're at this season. Uh, It's flying by. It is flying by. And then next week, by the way, on October 31st, that's going to be the first uh, the first rankings reveal of the college football season. After that happens, we will have an episode for you, hopefully the afternoon on Wednesday, to give you a little bit more of an instant react. Obviously, the first rankings, it's always just a little bit different than the ones after that because you get a little bit more context. I always love to talk about the teams that they slot 21 through 25 because they are trying to accomplish something there more often than not. And uh, yeah, but I'm excited. This has been a great season and I'm ready to keep it going. So for Baba Kairi... I'm Shahan Jayaraja. Thank you so much for joining us. And that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.